We all wear the twin mask of emotion, happy or sad, haunted or hunted. You choose the mask, you choose the risk, you choose your own poison. Welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm a princess. Um, also known as? A uh, goddess. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, just whatever I need to be to take advantage of people. All right. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each edition of this podcast, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we pick it apart, analyzing it for things that we liked, disliked, and things we appreciate about the universe of this show. This week, The Illusion of Majesty. Before we get started, Ryan, I want to apologize to you for being late. Yeah. It uh, it ended up taking me about four and a half hours to get here. Yes, please explain yourself, sir. Well, you know, you showed me that map last, last time, mm-hmm. and I tried to read it to get to your house. Yeah. And I realized... When I was in Kansas City, finally, um, I just, just dumped me out there. Hold on, hold on. Kansas City? Yeah. Okay, so for those that don't know, that's like, what, 200 like, miles away from yeah, here? Yeah, like two hours from here. Yeah. Um, I, I somehow found myself in Kansas City, and it wasn't until I started backtracking my route back that I finally learned how to read that map. They really need to teach people these sorts of things before just rolling them out there all willy-nilly. Um, I, I think they have taught people how to read them. Have they? I think so, yeah. I must have missed that in school. Well, anyway, at least I think I know how to read a map now. Okay. So I can get here in about five minutes instead of four hours. Good. That'll cut down your travel time to Florida next time as well. Yeah, it ought to. And it may help the crew of Andromeda here if they learn how to read that map too. Yeah, it could. It might. Anyway, that's enough horsing around. Uh, What do you say we get started with some trivia? Hey, let's do it. All right. This episode was written by Joel Metzger. He gets his writing start on shows like The Outer Limits and Earth Final Conflict. He would be a regular story contributor on the series Xena, The Warrior Princess. You remember that one? Yes. Back from the late 90s, early 2000s. This particular episode is his only script for the Andromeda series. It's directed by Peter DeLuise. Now, remember that name. It's going to come around a few more times in this series, in, in these final seasons. If the name sounds familiar, it should. He is the son of actor Dom DeLuise. Hmm. I was going to ask that as a joke. And? I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, there you go. Peter has extensive acting credits beginning in the mid-80s. He was Officer Doug Penhall in the series 21 Jump Street, and he would reprise that role as Officer Penhall in the 2012 movie of the same name. He also played Dagwood in the early 90s Sequest television series. As a director, he has been very proficient. He's directed episodes in literally every Stargate series, and many others in genre as well, including episodes of Dark Matter. Our actors for this week, we have Krista Allen. She plays the princess, not you. No, no. 
I will be playing myself tonight. She has an impressive credit list beginning in the mid-90s up to today, uh, and a post-production list on IMDb that would make many working actors jealous. In-genre credits include The X-Files, Mutant X, and Smallville. We also have Jean Innes. He plays the Royal Consul. He, as well, has extensive credits, including Airwolf, The Outer Limits, Stargate Atlantis, and, more recently, The Man in the High Castle. Mary Stillen, she plays the Ministry of Justice judge. She has credits in Airwolf, The Commish, The X-Files, and Stargate SG-1. And we warmly welcome the return of Rick Kivio. He plays the monk in this episode. Previously, we have seen him as Rakib in Ouroboros and Banks of the Lethe, and as Highguard Captain Param in The Widening Gyre and its hour come round at last. This will be his last appearance in the Andromeda series. We also have William Samples. He plays the King of Prolon. He has a, a massive credit list also, including Airwolf, MacGyver, The Commish, a bit role in the 1996 film Happy Gilmore, Smallville, and Battlestar Galactica. Paul Lazenby, he plays the prosecutor. He is an actor and stuntman with over 280 combined acting and stunt credits, according to IMDb. We also have, I'm going to whistle stop through this, Brent Carl Claxon, who plays the Ministry of Justice official, Derek Morrison as the bailiff, Angelica Lebra as the handmaiden, and that's it. That's all I've got for uh, that's it for credit list. You couldn't dig up a little more. Well, they, there's a lot there, mm-hmm. and I got tired of typing. I see, because okay. I still had more typing to do. This episode has tones uh, that we have seen previously in Star Trek. In the fifth season of uh, Star Trek Voyager, you may remember an episode called Night. It featured Voyager journeying through a void in space where aliens dump toxic garbage. And those aliens were called the Malon. Yeah. So I'm not saying there's a direct correlation. I'm just saying we've seen it before in sci-fi. Right. There is precedent here. And there was a little bit of a story arc there with the Malon as well. Yes, there was. Mm -hmm. There was. And a fun Easter egg I just wanted to point out here as well. When Dylan first speaks to the King of Prolon, there is a split screen with the King on one side and the Princess as a hologram on the other. The Princess is spinning in the image. And we've seen these similar shots done before, and you can notice the actor's eyes tracing uh, fixed points as they're being rotated around, I assume in a swivel chair or something of, of that nature. The interesting thing about this scene, though, is right before it cuts away, you'll notice as the camera rotates around to her left side, she starts talking to someone off camera, <laughs> which is <laughs> I thought was kind of funny, mm-hmm. seeing that she's supposed to be a stationary mugshot hologram Mm -hmm. anyway that's just the fun little easter egg i wanted to point out and that's all i've got for trivia ryan yes how about you take the mic for a little bit and give us a summary all right all right the illusion of majesty here's what happened ethan the andromeda and crew are zooming through slip space when they hit a speed bump which forces them to jump out of slipstream and into a quagmire of filth known as the prolon system which is filled with corrosive toxic waste and really dumb people We meet up with our first group of Prolon dum-dums as three vessels are pursuing a single escape pod. Dylan figures, we don't know who these people are, uh, what they're up to, or what their beef is with this single person in the escape pod, but hey, she's pretty, so let's help her. 
She is identified as the Princess of Prolon, who disappeared as a child and was believed dead, but reappeared about a year ago and is now, for some reason, trying to escape the Prolon system. Her royal entourage are now on board and demand her safe return. It is at this point that Trance delivers Dylan a flexi with new information about the princess. Turns out she's an imposter, posing as the princess in order to steal the royal fortune. She tries to make a deal with Dylan, but while they are in intercourse, or congress, what? Both of those words can mean conversation. Look it up. But as they discuss the matter, another ship attacks the Andromeda. It's the Prolon Order of Monks, and they are demanding the release of their goddess. When they show an image of her, surprise, it's our fake princess. Dylan brings them on board so they can speak with their goddess. The monks are uncomfortable with the royals being on board, as their goddess has ordered them to have no congress with them at all. And while they're at it, to give all their wealth to the church. Enter the Ministry of Justice, an organization of sorts meant to keep order between the feuding factions in the Prolon system, and also just happens to be run by an AI. A squadron of MOJ henchmen arrive on the Andromeda, along with one of their top AI judges. The judge quickly identifies the princess goddess fraud by her real name, Lorena Bobbitt, Bodget. Blodgett, Lorena Blodgett, one of the system's most wanted criminals. The judge rather unceremoniously pronounces her guilty and sentences her to death by firing squad. And let's not waste any time. Ready? Aim? Wait! Says Dylan, who agrees to represent her in a fair trial. And that's exactly what they get, complete with a cage, swords, and a large sweaty tattooed convict in a fight to the death. Dylan wins the fight, of course, but the judge rules Dylan's move illegal and sentences him to death. Meanwhile, Harper and Tyr are sneaking their way into the computer's mainframe. I'm sure they call it a mainframe because apparently the tech is so old around here. And just as the judge is about to order Dylan's execution, Harper hacks his way in and makes the judge say a bunch of silly stuff. But the important part is that all the charges are dropped and the case is dismissed. The end. Oh, wait, there's more. Back on the Andromeda, Dylan tells Lorena that she needs to come clean and return the money she has stolen. She agrees and dismisses everyone in the room except for one of her handmaids and asks for the veil of repentance. Out she comes to meet with Dylan, the royals, and the monks. But when she lifts the veil and reveals, she switched places with the handmaid. But where is Lorena? Rami reports that Lorena has up an R-U-N-N-O-F-T on the Maru. She won't get away, though, as Dylan anticipated this and had Becca stow away to capture her and bring her back to face the music. The end. Nope. Still, no. Now both the royals and the monks believe Dylan to be in on the whole scam, and their ships begin firing on the Andromeda. One of the shots short-circuits one of the Andromeda's missile tubes, causing a missile to fire and explode. This is bad. All that corrosive waste is very unstable, and even just one explosion from one of Andromeda's missiles would set off a chain reaction, destroying the entire system, likely increasing Prolon's overall property value, but killing all of the system's inhabitants in the process. Dylan isn't comfortable with this cost-benefit analysis, and has Harper deploy a Nova Bomb detonator to starve the fire, putting it out before it does too much damage. The end.
Oh, no, there's still one more thing. Back on Andromeda, Dylan makes Lorena admit live on Prolon TV that she stole the money from the royal family and monks, but claiming that it was for a good cause, as she could now redistribute the wealth to the impoverished people and rejuvenate the system. The royals are mad. The king is broke. The monks have lost all sense of guidance. Lorena vows revenge on Dylan. The end. Are we sure? Roll credits. The end. Okay. Okay. We're we're good there. We're good there. Very good summary. Appreciated that. Becca almost got slimed. Yes. How do how do you think that would have gone had it actually landed on her? Well, I don't know. I mean, is this just one of those metal eating corrosive chemicals or I'm thinking if it eats metal, mm-hmm. it's going to not work wonders on your skin. It could. <laughs> But haven't we seen before? There's there's certain things that like to eat metal, but they're not interested in the in the the, the bio. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Biomatter. I'm still thinking though that you do you remember that '80s uh, kids show? You can't do that on television. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I don't think I don't think you could have put that on television right. if that corrosive toxic waste had actually landed on Becca. Mm-hmm. It would become a horror flick at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like a scene from Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? If we're in the 80s now, I'm just going to go ahead and throw out my comment on that. Okay. Was just that it was good to see a cameo from Slimer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about the same radioactive color, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a nice chartreuse green. Hey, you know what? I'm just going to say, Ethan, if you're trying to make a deal with somebody, a kiss is as good as a handshake. Is it? I think so. Okay. I mean, if a wink's as good as a nod to a blind bat, a kiss is as good as a handshake. Yeah. Right? I get. I feel you. All right. I feel you. So when the uh, Minister of Justice comes on board, did you notice that the crew looks about as interested in being there as the actors themselves seem interested in telling this particular story? And by that, I mean not at all interested. <laughs> is that what was going on? I, uh, that's the way it looked to me. Just okay. just a nice observation I saw there. Uh, you know what? I, I want to talk about real quick. When you're fighting with someone who is much bigger than you, when you have the opportunity to take the kill shot, take it. And this goes for both of them, Dylan and the prosecutor. Yeah. <laughs> There were times when I'm like, I'm watching this whole fight play out, and I'm like, right there, his ribs are open. Stab him. What What are you doing, big guy? You know? Yeah. Dylan doing the same thing. Hey, you got him right there. That's the kill shot. Take it. But but no, instead, they step back or they do some other different non-lethal shot, you know? Yeah. You know, to that scene, I'm also sitting there thinking... What are the props guy and sound guys thinking for this whole scene? They're like, this is a sci-fi show. We got to come up with cutlasses. <laughs> we got to come up with sounds for cutlasses yeah. on this show. Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering where they went. Did they go to an archive to get that, or did they come up with those sound effects themselves? Because that was a lot of shinging and banging going yeah, on there. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the sound editors, they were on overtime this episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, even from the very beginning... When Lorena comes on the ship and she first wakes up, first thing she does is slaps Dylan across the face. <laughs> that that was like a, that sound. That was a great, great slap. I mean, sound that was effect. a whole that was a whole whipping through the air and slap. I felt a, that one on my couch. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was intense. 
Um, the monks. When the monks disrobe, I had flashbacks to Ace Ventura. When the tribal <laughs> warrior on Ace 2 <laughs> screams at Ace <laughs> in the fight ring. I've never seen them act like this before. <laughs> I, did, I, I did. I flashed back to that and, and, and actually laughed at the scene. Uh-huh. But not necessarily because I think they were going for a little over the top silliness. Yep. And and it did. It's just my early 90s childhood or or, or film watching kicked in and immediately I I flash back to Ace Ventura. Uh so Harper gets into the judge, right? And and she's she's aping or no, she's parroting what he's saying, right? Yes. Um so that whole deal there at the end when he's uh he's dropping all the charges and everything and then he adds the very last bit at the at the end that the, the addendum the, that the yeah that yeah. that uh, uh what's her name what's her name she uh, must go on two dates two, at least two dates with two him. two nights with harper yeah. that's what he says yeah two nights with harper <laughs> so two thoughts come to mind one um hasn't she suffered enough <laughs> yes and then also you know um in this system is there such thing as cruel and unusual punishment Excellent questions. Mm-hmm. Excellent questions. Yeah, you know what? I got to say, for Harper, I was up until that point, I was really proud of him because he was holding his creepiness inside. Yeah, for the whole episode, the whole time you have this, what Harper would normally come right out and say, "Hot girl," right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, the, these are Harper. This is Harper saying this. Harperisms. Yep. Yes. This yep. is not. I'm not trying to objectify anyone. I right? get this. Right. I get okay. This. Okay. So, but yeah, he couldn't keep it in the whole episode, nope. could he? No. Nope. Hey, uh, speaking of the Minister of Justice uh, in that trial, what's up with the sphere gavel in sci-fi? Ah, uh, yes. I. Here's the thing. I didn't write it down because I thought, Ethan's going to write that down. I did. Yep. Right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is up with that? It's everywhere. It is. It is. Yeah. A- apparently, a hammer-shaped gavel is only good on Earth. We're, in, in the were 20th humans century. the only ones that developed the hammer? Maybe. Or the gavel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the first judges were carpenters. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. Knew how to make a handle. Yeah. And a block, yeah. Well, they just had it, yeah. you know, because they're 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 workers. I'm so thinking they have, if they anything, have a hammer, if anything, the sphere is a step backward. Yeah, because it's just you could just pick up a rock and mm-hmm. be like, bang, courts in session. Mm-hmm. A gavel is craftsmanship. I think so. Well, I mean, hey, now let's say, you know, there's there can be a lot of craftsmanship in a sphere. It's not just a rock. It could be a a fine piece of polished marble. Or maybe a fine piece of metal that, that they've perfectly rounded. I mean, can you make something perfectly round? No. No, neither can I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there could be something said to be said about that. Are, are you saying that the, that, that the sphere gavel mm-hmm. in sci-fi, that is precedent? Not to belittle the, the human earth gavel mm-hmm. with the handle, mm-hmm. but the sphere gavel, that is the I Ching. That is the thing that all... 
galactic-wide court systems should should subscribe to. Well, sure, because let's think about a human gavel, right? Okay, you have a handle, and then you have the head. If you look at those, they're basically two pieces that fit together, each of which have been turned on a wood lathe. So you have basically two axes from which to carve. Okay. Whereas a sphere, I mean, that's 360 degrees all the way around. So you're saying the sphere gavel is more complex to make? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so listen, Ethan, this episode opens with them in Slipstream. Yes. So I kind of feel like, do we need to talk about Slipstream? Refer to the previous episode, and I think you'll find your answer. Okay, so so you're saying no, you don't want to talk about Slipstream? <laughs> no, if we want to, let's oh, talk okay. about it. All right, no, no. Okay, so... Because seriously, I, I, I did want to bring up the fact... Okay, we can talk about that later. Okay. I just wanted to make a joke, because I know you hate talking about Slipstream. (laughs) Um, But, you know, okay, that was just a little joke. But here's here's what actually I really wanted to talk about, though, here was, um, we do have the Ministry of Justice, which is run by an AI. Do we need to talk about AI? I think in this case, we might need to, just a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, again, maybe we can talk about that later. But I thought that was funny, because there's two things right off the bat. I know you yep. hate talking back about to them. Back. Yep. Yep. And hey, we got slipstream complications and AI. <sighs> Yay! It's Ethan's nightmare of an episode. <laughs> what's What's the third thing that you really hate talking about? Maybe we can throw that in there too. Politics. Okay. Uh, so the Ministry of Justice idea of a legal argument is a cage match to the death. Yeah. You know what? Honestly. I'm not opposed. Might makes right in this day and age, doesn't it? Uh, well, in theory, no. <laughs> in practice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the whole idea of due process gets tossed out on its yeah. head. So yeah, I'm glad that know, you I'm said not, that because sure. I kept trying to figure out a way to, in my summary, I was like trying to figure out a way to work in that these prolongs really need to watch a few episodes of Law and Order. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which I still contend is the best theme song ever on TV. <laughs> and shortest. That. And it's, it's great. Amazing. It amazing. Yeah, it is great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's dun, right up there with dun, Night Court. Dun, 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 dun. There you yeah, go. Okay. And the yeah. original one. I'm not talking about the SVU or the the whatever the other one was with the guy from uh, Men in Black. Vincent DiGiorno? No. It's not. No, that's Delivery. It's, that's Delivery. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's DiGiorno. It's not Delivery. Yeah. And they owe us some money. That's right. We said DiGiorno. Please send that care of Drive Back the Night. Well, all right, Ryan. Let's uh, let's rein it in just a little bit. As you like to say, it's getting a little silly in here. It is. It's getting silly. Yeah. Um, I'm warning this show to not get silly again. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's move on then. Let's learn a little bit about this, uh, the, the universe that we have learned about in this particular episode. What do you say? Okay. Go ahead. You know what? This here, and we've kind of touched on this before. Um, when things like this happen on the Andromeda, uh, just as far as... How far-reaching is Rami's eye? Uh, Because we have this situation here where they're trying to figure out, hey, we got stuff going on here. Where's Dylan? And Rami's report is, he's in conference. 
which is very weakly coded. We we all know what that's talking about. Well, we saw them flirting yeah. ahead of time, and we knew exactly where that was going. Right. So, Rami knows that. Yeah. Is Rami watching? Like, I, I'm not. I'm not saying like in a Harper creepy way, but just in the sense of is is she observing everything that's going on to the point that she doesn't just um, know what's happening. She sees what's happening. Are you you bringing this up as in she knows exactly when the time to say, excuse me, Dylan, um, we have a situation you need to be aware of. Are you, are you, is that the, the moment you're, is she aware of what's going on in the room up to that point? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, not just up to that point, but the leading whole time. up to that point, the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, disturbing. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't want. I don't think I want to explore that too closely because right. that really does open the door for a lot of. Well, you know, um, I have issues with the phone in in my room when I'm talking, mm-hmm. and and yeah, you're bringing up a whole extra level. And considering things we've heard in the news recently about what these phones hear. And when they hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, apparently, that's something we're just going to have to get used to. Right. Because 3,000 years from now, your AI knows exactly when to contact you. Yeah. And so here's my other problem with this, is that if Rami is completely fully aware, and not just aware, but observing everything that Dylan and, let's say, the whole crew is doing at all times. Um, Here's my other problem with this, is... If she does, if she's aware, um, if she's observing all of this, okay, that's one thing. If it's an AI that you can trust, and I think most of the time we can trust Rami, except that we can't. Because where is the discretion? Yeah. Because Rami pretty much gives him up, right? <laughs> yes. Um, She could simply have said, Dylan is unavailable at the moment. Dylan is indisposed at the moment. Dylan's on the can. Yes. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Dylan is in bed. Would that not be accurate? It could be. Okay. It could be. So, but no, she has to, in a very coy way, let everybody know exactly, exactly what Dylan happening. is yeah. doing right now. Yeah. So, um, I don't think I like that in my AI. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, add that to the lit- litany of mm-hmm. other things that we have discussed on this show right. at length. Add this one to it as well. And that we will continue to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, let's run down the different factions we have here to discuss. Prolon Ministry of Justice, Prolon Royal Family, Prolon Order of Monks, a moronic people accepting other people's Toxic waste, other systems, toxic waste, which fouls their own system. Essentially leaving us, a, well, as he described it, a moronic, gullible, gullible people in a toxic trash system. Uh, what did, What was your take on the prolons? You, you got to wonder, for one thing, why are they letting people do this and why are they staying there? And they, Tears right. They're they're moronic. In my summary, I called them dum dums. Because I mean, why are they living this way? 
But then at the same time, just look around your neighborhood. <laughs> People are choosing to live this way all around us. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it just just to fill people in, the town that we live in, it is nice house, nice house, trash. And then you're going to have some trash for the next block and a half. And then you have nice homes. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, it's weird. It's such a weird mix of of people that try to take care of themselves and their property and then people that just let everything go. All living together. Yeah. Um, certainly there are some neighborhoods that are much nicer than others. Okay, certainly. But, yeah, yeah. but I'm just, just our town in general. That's how it is. And yeah. I think that's probably accurate for many towns uh, around the world. Um, this happens to be one of those neighborhoods that it's just, it's all junk. Nobody's trying. Yeah. Yeah. And but I I felt that it was interesting that they brought out in several occasions that there is so much toxic waste in the in the system that you you can have things happening right next to you and not know what's happening. A planet can be right next to you and you wouldn't know it's mm -hmm. there. And I'm wondering, well, how do these people get around? How do they find each other? How do they exist in the yeah, same space? Because they say that they navigate by sight. Yeah. But if you can't see anything. Right. Mm hmm. And so, yeah, there, there was some interesting quirks about the system that I couldn't quite reconcile. And uh, I'm wondering how, even if it is a moronic people, how did a whole society develop this way when they can't even, when it, 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 when it appears that they're just bumping around in the system randomly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering how anything gets accomplished. I think they they must be able to see something. Um, perhaps reports have been exaggerated, but we do know that, that their navigation systems don't work, but they have to navigate by sight. To navigate by sight, you have to be able to see. Right. But as Becca establishes when they, <laughs> which we'll get to that in a second, when they just randomly drop into the middle of the system, she can't see anything. She doesn't know which way is the closest way out. Yeah. So so how is it that when they bring the princess aboard, how is it that she says, oh, I can lead you where you need to go? Mm -hmm. How is it that she's able to know her orientation and right. where exactly she is? Because apparently she was in cryosleep or something mm -hmm. in this escape pod, which don't let, let's not poke at how that is supposed to work. But. Yeah, how is how is it that she knows exactly where she's at and which direction to point Andromeda to get them where they need to go? Okay, so I'm thinking there are certain things, certain markers in, let's say, in our night sky. Okay, when we walk out there, there are certain things that are very easily identifiable. Orion's belt, um, within the system, there's Jupiter, um, Mars, Venus. These are things that are pretty easily identifiable, yeah, ex if, except if, that we can see them. Yeah. I I think that they are able to see them. Is it is it maybe like when it's an overcast sky, but it's a thin cloud layer, and so you can see just the outline of the sun? No. Is that what you're thinking? I don't know. I think what's happening here is the, the Andromeda comes in, either it has a star... Either it has a star chart, or it scans the system real quick, and it knows where everything is. Okay. When you drop into this system, none of that stuff works. 
So even though you can visually see certain stars, you've never been there before. You don't have any idea what that glowy thing is out there, out your out your view screen or out your window. Yeah. So it's, somebody drops in to our solar system. They don't have any kind of, of nav computer or any systems or star charts or anything. They don't have any idea what anything is. They see a, a bright, glowy thing out there. We may know, oh, yeah, that's Venus. They don't have any idea what that is. They okay. don't know that that's getting closer to the sun. Although I imagine they might be able to see the sun. <laughs> you would think. Yeah. So, bad example. You know what I mean. I, I get I get mm-hmm. where you're going. Okay. I still feel like we see enough in the the CG, the graphics, the exterior shots of the system. And it looks like it would be very difficult to fix on anything. Yeah. And and again, I come back to what Becca says. She had no clue mm-hmm. where to go, which right. which in my mind, she's the one in the driver's seat. So she's looking around, she can or can scan around or whatever it is. She's not seeing anything. Yeah. So how do you orient yourself to navigate any place? Can they not even see the star? I, I don't know. That's the impression is, that I get is they can't even see the star. Is there you so much? Sum- okay, so, man, then what's going on on all the planets in the system? Y- that's my question. Are they, are they all in a state of when there's no sunlight? If If you can't see anything, you can't even see the star at the center of your system, is any of that sunlight then going to be able to get to the surface of any of these planets? So are they all in like a permanent state of ice age? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Because we really don't see any of the planets. We just know people are living on them. Yeah. Are, are they all in, you know, just shelters and recycled air and, and yeah, everything has to be shipped in because they can't grow anything? Is what it sounds like you're describing. If that's yeah. the case, if that's how f- things are are physically arranged, sure. But but I just I have a hard time believing that though. I I think that people are sustaining themselves in this system. Nobody wants to go there. Yeah. So who are they trading with? Right. Um. They're living there. There 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 has to be something sustaining. And I maybe they're not living on the planets. Um. Really, all we see is a drift mm-hmm. that Andromeda pulls up to, and that's where the Ministry of Justice was. We don't know what the uh, the King of Prolon was on. Mm-hmm. He may not necessarily have been on one of the planets. He may have been on his own drift or his own ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, maybe maybe that you're onto something. Maybe none of the planets can sustain life at this point. Yeah. They've just flooded the system with toxic waste, and it's just it's just destroyed everything. I wonder if they're getting anything in exchange for all of this toxic waste that they're dumping. Well, they have I mean, to, because otherwise you wouldn't have a society living there. There's got to be something keeping them there, right? Cage matches. Yeah. And lots of money amongst the royals. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because the whole time I keep thinking, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, leave yeah why are you staying there right um and really the only people that we see in this episode are people who are doing well yes even the monks even though they've given up everything that was a nice starship 
they were on. Stained glass windows and everything. See, I mean, there's a reason for Lorena to go after them. Yeah. They have got lots and lots of money. They do. Uh, How they're acquiring all of this wealth, I'm not exactly sure, just being monks. Um, Definitely the royal family. You can see how they're getting all of that wealth. Mm -hmm. If, If they're profiting off of all of these people dumping all of their waste in their system... It's just still so weird. I don't understand why they need to do, even do that. I mean, can you can you not do this somewhere in some interstellar part of space? A medium. Yeah. You know, just out away from your star system. Why, why do you have to completely pollute... It, your system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, no, anyone's, that's a, that's the, or anyone's system. Why yeah. do you have to pollute somebody else's system? Why can't you just... It's, I, this is part of where I don't exactly understand how the slip points work. I think the slip points have to be in systems. Yes. Because uh, we've seen this before, mm-hmm. where they dropped out somewhere too far away from a system, yeah. and they were in big trouble. And they couldn't find a, a stream to get mm-hmm. to get back in. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, let's not... We've already spent... We've burned a lot of gray matter working on that particular problem and i don't think we're going to find a resolution yeah, no i mean it's still burning though do you <laughs> it smell is. that yeah i do i do it's okay. getting it's getting pretty intense in here um that's the prolongs I, because the longer we talk about this like the more questions come up. i know things that i, I know. didn't I think can... about at all when i was preparing for this but now that we're talking about it i'm like well what about that what are, this is this, these are problems i'm on the couch with you i I'm, yeah so i don't get these prolongs man if we want to get this episode in i think we just have to move on Ugh. So do the prolons. They do. Mm-hmm. There it is. Are they called prolons? Prolons. Or are they prol- prolonians? <laughs> prolonians? Yeah. No, I think the prolons is what, what they were referring to them as. Uh, Dylan, I want to ask you a question. Um, um, I'm Ryan. <laughs> yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or Princess? <laughs> Princess Ryan, mm-hmm. um, I want to ask you a question about Dylan. Oh, okay, yes. Okay, so do you still want to go with spores or pheromones for Dylan falling for the woman of the week so easily? You know, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards no. Um, here's what I think is happening. I think, and I hate to say this, I hesitate to say it. But I've given this a lot of thought, and I think what's happening is Dylan's over Sarah. There, I said it. Really? <sighs> is that what's happened? Man, I don't know. Okay. It ma- it kind of makes sense. Yeah? It kind of makes sense. I, it's along the same thoughts that I had as well. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think he's moved on. Yeah. And, uh, man, he's rebounding hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get a sense that he actually fell for this woman, though? I mean, we have that whole thing at the end where he says, I only tricked her. I didn't, or we didn't fool any, or I didn't fool any one yeah, of us. I, How'd you take that? She full on threw herself at him. From the get go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So am I supposed to believe that he actually feels something for her? Uh, on an emotional level, no, no. <laughs> okay, absolutely not. So we're in agreement there. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, did but, but then there at the end, it does sound like he's gotten himself emotionally involved in her, 
or with her. And do we do we dare say that she has a little bit of an emotional attachment to him by the, by her reaction as she's walking off the ship, looking back over her shoulder at him as he's making this insightful, reflective moment? I mean, did something happen? Hmm. Let me ponder on that for a minute. Nope. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just I'm feeling around. I'm looking for to see if anyone else felt anything. Okay. You're kind of confirming what I already. Okay. Think I knew. So what Dylan did. This is the old classic. Um, it was the yeah one night stand, but no, but it was real. It was real, guys. Really? <laughs> no, no, I really cared about her. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then she was doing the old looking over her shoulder, like, yeah. I played you, and I'm going to get you. Yeah, that, and that's what I'm thinking. Is that really what happened? Is when she first gets on board and she's throwing herself at Dylan? Did she see a mark? Is that she was? Oh. She was in her game. Yeah. She was playing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did Dylan get played? Yeah, he did. He did. Now that doesn't mean he got played all the way right. to he, her to what her because plan was. he hedged his bet. Yeah, and yeah. it and it and it came out that. Yeah, it came right. out as a one, not a twenty. Exactly. Okay. He he knows how to play the game too. Right. Is what we figured out. Okay. No, that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. I think we know who she is, and we learned a little more about who he is. This episode does leave me with one more question that we haven't discussed yet. What's that? Um. Do you remember the last call at the Broken Hammer? I do. Okay. Do you remember the pregnant girl who was yes. played by? Uh, Michael Gordon Wolvitt's actual real-life wife. Yeah. Okay. The question we had at the end of that episode was, now that Andromeda flies off, what happens to her? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was very concerned about what happens to her now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no one there to protect her. She's called, She has caused all of this ruckus. Um, she needs psychological help, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let's go ahead and bring it back to this episode. They fly off. What happens to Lorena now? I know that they, they leave this with the idea that her, her fraudulent identity is being left intact. Um, of course, for the illusion of majesty, roll credits. So, but I'm not buying it. No, what happens is the king of Prolon has her assassinated. Because of what she's done to the royal family. He's already said he's not afraid to make her a martyr. Exactly. So she quietly disappears, mm-hmm. nefariously, and uh, the royal family slowly re- recoups what they have what they have lost, short yeah. term. So now, the question that I have... The, the, no question. That's what's going to happen. No, but the, what <laughs> that brings up then is, does Dylan... No, does not does Dylan. Dylan's got to know that. He doesn't get out. She doesn't get out of this alive. Well, so he, he does say, I didn't fool any one of us. I think he knows. Eyes wide open. I think he understands what's going to happen to her. So that was a totally empty threat that she gives to him. And he knows it. Well, when a person's caught, what do they have left but empty threats? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't care for Lorena as an individual because she's definitely shady. She is not above doing things that are, um, underhanded. Yeah. Putting it nicely. Sure. 
Sure. After everything that Dylan went through to save her life, though, he went yeah, but he it, went hand-to-hand against this huge dude. But that was before she disappeared on the Maru. Before confirmation came that she was trying to play him. Nope, nope. He knew who she was. Okay. He knew who she was, and and he let her do it anyway. As soon Dylan's as he got the nice flexi, guy. no, he just... I don't know how to say this if if we were not being recorded, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say this and keep our family friendly family friendly rating. She, she was she was using her womanly wiles on him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was effective for the time being. But why does he go to such an extent to? Uh, I, uh, I'm not buying it. He knows who she is. He knows what she's about. He knows that she's been stealing money from the royal family for her own personal gain, even though she sprinkles it with the with the the, the idea that oh, because the royal family has been taking this money from the population, and now this is this is ill-gotten gains that the family has. So that's why that's how she justifies it to. Dylan or to herself for why it's okay that she's doing this, even though she's doing it for her own personal gain. She has no intention of spreading the wealth to to rejuvenate the whole system. She wants to take all this money and skip town. Dylan figures that out from the flexi that Trance gives her in the second act of this episode. He knows who she is. He still goes to Congress with her. He still fights for her life, literally. Fight to the death for her life. And then he says, okay, everything's good. There you go. Now, admit all of this stuff, but don't admit everything. But there are people that were very, very powerful that know the whole story. So what did Dylan really do here? Do you remember the episode, to, to think back on previous shows that we've discussed and we've seen in this series, mm-hmm. Kiss of the Leper? The assassin? Yeah, okay. The woman that Dylan yes. fell for? Yeah. Okay. He knows early on who she is, what she's about, and yet he still tries to hold out for her the opportunity for redemption. Knowing that she's not going to take it, maybe. And so I feel like this is this is the character that they're building in Dylan Hunt. He he knows he knows what he's getting into, and he'll go he'll go as far as he comfortably can with the situation. It went pretty far this time, and in the end, he gave her the opportunity at redemption. And he doesn't have to be concerned with the consequences that she's going to face afterward, (laughs) just like the leper. Okay, so if I'm remembering that episode correctly, the the problem I have with your argument here is that that was a big reveal at the end. He he was kind of playing the cards close to his chest, but at the same time, he was kind of on her side. The whole time and really trying to help her. And she kind of even used him to get to. She used him as a means to her end. Yes. Until it was finally revealed. And then Dylan took action 
against her. In this one, I I don't know. It's like he pretty much knew who she was from the beginning. The leper had him fooled. He thought the leper was somebody totally different. True. Um, this one, yeah, he knows what she's up to. He kn- he knows what her game is. He's got to know that she's playing him. Why do you go to bat that far for somebody to look? I can't get away from this cage match. I can't. I can't <laughs> okay, get this okay. out of my mind that he went down there, and as soon as they said, "Okay, well then you got to fight for her life." He knows who she is. He knows what she's about. He's so he should just be like, "Yeah, I'm out." Right. I could it be that he was going to bat for her, giving her the opportunity at redemption. But in the end, he realizes she's a lost cause. So he cuts bait, leaves her to whatever devices are going to work against her. But maybe it is that he knows there's something that he knows, and it is she's capable of taking care of herself. So he doesn't really have to be worried about what what's going to happen to her. She, she may find a way to get out of it herself. She's smart enough to not ever go back home. Yeah. Where, where daddy's there waiting with a sniper rifle. <laughs> exactly. Or, I mean, okay, let's, let's, if we're talking about royal families, we're talking about a dagger to the back, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, okay. That makes me feel a lot better. Okay. It does. Okay. Ryan, I think that's a good place for our conversation and what we've learned about our characters, about the system, the prolons, morons. Um, how about a quote? We had a quote for this one, didn't we? Yes, we sure do. And I'll, here it is right here. Uh, we all wear the twin masks of emotion, happy or sad, haunted or hunted. You choose the mask. You choose the risk. You choose your own poison. These words, these were the last words of Plethi the Pirate, Commonwealth Year 3902. You know, Brian, I typically take these first. I think since I'm hosting, I'm going to defer to you. Okay. What are your thoughts on this? All right. So I looked at the options here and I decided, um, happy. If these are my choices, happy. Because we have the, uh, the first two choices, happy or sad. Well, I'm going to go happy. Haunted or hunted. Both of those are bad. <laughs> so in the next line, if you get to choose the mask, well, then I'm going to choose the happy mask. Right? Yeah. Uh, you choose the risk. What's the risk in being happy? Well, I guess maybe, yeah, you know. But what's the last words there? <sighs> you choose your own poison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It pretty much leaves it in a negative connotation, doesn't it? Yeah. So pretty much no matter what you choose, it's a poison? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like that this is very much uh, an interesting saying for these prolons. They've chosen their poison. They live in the middle of it. Yeah. They're shooting it at each other. With it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, their their system is a toxic wasteland. They've chosen their poison. And, yeah. Um, Can you it, imagine that? Like, everything that you're surrounded by, and you figure out a way to weaponize it. Like, our... There is, like, so much hydrogen. What if humans <laughs> figured out a way to weaponize... Hydrogen... And made bombs out of it. Hydrogen bombs. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But yeah, so you know that's that's one aspect of it. The other aspect that I thought of is is masks, right? Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of a theme in the last few episodes that we've done is is the masks that we wear. And so obviously the princess is wearing several masks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's gotten her into trouble. Yeah, you know i I kind of think I think that they missed a little bit on this because Becca makes the comment. I wonder how many other scams she's running. Yeah. Uh, so do I. Did she just do these two, or are, this, are these just the two that they told us about in this episode? Three. What was the deal with the Ministry of Justice? What did they want her for? Uh, that's what they just called her on these two, on being the princess and, and posing the as goddess. the goddess. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then the Ministry of Justice, she, that, was, that was the third group that was after her, but it was because right, of right. what she was doing at the first two. Yeah, yeah. I really would have like to have them just when that judge calls her out okay bring up these two that we know about throw in three or four others <laughs> that we didn't see in this episode yeah just to kind of thicken it a little bit yeah that would have been cool it could've, wouldn't have been that been. hard yeah. well okay so what what, what do we think a good quote yeah i mean it's okay it it i feel like it did make sense in the sense that um, we have somebody who, in Lorena, she's wearing many masks. Everybody has to choose what mask they're going to wear. Dylan had to choose what mask he was going to wear. He That's was true. fighting for her, and then he had to decide to make her, force her to do the quasi right thing he wore two masks in this one yeah he wore both happy and sad happy at the beginning yeah sad at the end right and tear he had to decide it wasn't a hard decision <laughs> no, no it wasn't yeah but he pretty much just walked out from the very beginning yeah um so yeah i mean it's just it is one of those things, no matter what situation that any of us are in, we have to decide what we're going to do, what mask we're going to wear. Um, I heard someone once say, um, you you feel however you feel. You can't change that, but you can choose your attitude. Yeah. And then your attitude is going to affect how you feel, and it's going to affect how you act so you can just just have these masks that i i guess they just come on by default or you can choose what mask you wear yeah no that's that that's very insightful so and that's that's what the last line is here choose your poison so you choose the mask or you choose the attitude that you want to proceed forward with now does yeah. it have to be a poison, though? No, not and necessarily. That's that's, that's, that's where, kind of the thing that that yeah. sours me on this right. saying. Yeah, that's that's where it goes wrong. And this is it is a very negative viewpoint. And I don't know what the rest of uh, these are the last words of this Pleite the pirate. Um, I imagine he was probably not. He didn't have his boots off. Can I use that expression? <laughs> he did yeah. not die with his boots off. Yeah. Plithe the pirate probably died um, at the business end of a bayonet or something like that, right? Or a plasma cannon. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, not a good end for Plithe. No. Um, so maybe that has 
sort of skewed his viewpoint. Possibly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, you don't have to pick your poison, but pick your attitude. Yeah. Pick your mask for better, for worse. Um, try to do the one for better. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice and very insightful. And I think we can leave that right there. Okay. So, Ryan, mm-hmm. what are our thoughts on this episode? Okay. The the illusion of majesty. Did you like this episode? No. Okay, then. Would you like to expound on that? You know, I didn't understand the people who were living in this system. We kind of speculated as to why they might stay around. I still don't feel sorry for them. Get out. It's your fault. This is a dumb place to live. This is a dumb system. Um, the idea of this person who can just apparently come back from the dead and trick everyone into thinking that they're actually that real person. Again, dumb people. Like, unbelievably dumb people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, cons and scams, these kind of things go on all the time, but they need to be believable. So that's why most of the time when I get those robocalls and people that are wanting to help me out with all of these things, I'm like, yeah, I don't believe you because I don't have any student loan debt. So I I don't believe you. That's a dumb scam. <laughs> all right. Um, and then just all of the dysfunction in this system, I don't want to say that's necessarily unbelievable because if if you do go ahead and suspend disbelief enough to believe that these people are going to be put in this situation okay then all of the the way their justice system works or doesn't work um that's just bad that's really bad why even call someone a prosecutor why use the terms of a legal system when None of it actually functions as a legal system. It seemed like it was more of, let's see how bad of a situation we can put everybody in. Uh, Even though you did, in a way, convince me that I guess Lorena might be okay after this because she's street smart enough to get out of this, um, I still don't like the way Dylan left it. That leaves a bad taste in my mouth because after everything that he did for her and all of the deals that they made, all of the Congress that they made, you then, okay, let's get you out of this system then. But instead, he just leaves her in a situation that is extremely dangerous for her. And then as far as the pacing of the story, the pacing of the episode... I don't know if you caught it, but when I was doing my summary, how many times I said the end. And that's because it got to all of those points and I kept thinking, yep, that's it. This episode's over. And then there would be more. So that tells me two things. One is that there were enough loose ends that were not made obvious enough to me to say, hey, what about that other thing that still needs tied up? Um, I forgot about them. I was ready for the episode to be over, but then it wasn't. And this happened like two or three times while I was watching this episode. And so that also speaks to the pacing of the episode that it just, it seemed to just drag on 
it wouldn't stop. And every time I would think the episode was over, there was more of the episode. And I was just ready for it to be done. I feel you. Okay? I feel you. And and I've I've now tipped my hat as to how I felt about this episode. But what haven't we talked about that I feel like, personally, we absolutely should have talked about for the next episode after the last one we just had? Mm-hmm. I left off in my summary from the last episode an epic showdown between Tyr and Dylan was about to ensue in Tyr's quarters. What did we not get in this episode? Anything about any of that. Exactly! Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really didn't get anything indicating where we're at with Tyr and Dylan and Tyr's future yeah. on this ship. He acts like a petulant child, goes to his room and just right. avoids everything and calls these people morons. Right. And Dylan's like, ugh. Dear. Right. Well, you know, and I don't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. But here we go. So this episode is one of those that is so extremely standalone. This could have been done literally any time. This should have been done earlier in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that puts it in the time period, uh, the, in the timeline that we see now, is because Dylan does make mention of the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this really could have been done. Well, any time after that. Yeah. But take out that line, <laughs> which is very easy to do yeah. because it was a very throwaway line that didn't matter to anyone. Yeah. Especially the judge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is an episode that could be done absolutely anywhere. It could be, it could be placed anywhere in the timeline and it doesn't yeah. change anything. It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it, it, the, the show writers have started something in the last few episodes and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's engaging. It's gotten me excited about the show again. Mm-hmm. And then we totally forget about it for this episode. Yeah. And it, this episode should not have come in the place where it's at. Right. Well, because how does this episode start? They're flying through Slipstream. Yeah. Where are they going? Uh, someplace. Not here where we end up. Right. We don't know. They don't tell where, us. Where does the, how does the map tell us to get there? Oh, we forgot about the map because we just got randomly dumped out in the system that we have no idea where we're at. I mean, are, and that are, thus the joke at the beginning of our show. Are there are there no signs in Slipstream? <laughs> you know, the thing. I know that you said we didn't want to talk about Slipstream. Yeah, but that was a big problem. It, everything that we have established about Slipstream, and then they hit this. I call it a speed bump, but they hit this. Well, they say they say that the streams are thinning. Mm-hmm. They're becoming thin, it, it, as if they didn't know where they were going. Yeah. As if they didn't know how they got here. Right. They have a map. Mm-hmm. And yet we're we're expected to believe that, oh, we've just, we've, we've ended up in a place where we shouldn't be. Well, just because they have a map is like at the beginning of the episode you were talking about, you were trying to get to my house. We're five minutes away from each other, but you drove all the way to Kansas City. Did they read it wrong? Like I did? Could have. Okay. I mean, that's the I only, have to accept that. Either... Either they still haven't completely figured out how to use the map, or they're just not using it yet. Okay. We haven't seen it yet. 
All we saw was what we had at the end of the last episode was where they now have it. Yeah. But I'm thinking you I just didn't plug see that it. right into the Navi computer. I didn't see it unfolded out <laughs> in uh, in front of Becca's console. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll concede that point to okay. you. Okay. Can I continue? Oh, yeah. Well, well no, no. Did you have more? <laughs> Probably, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I, I was just going to wrap up my thoughts here on the episode. Um, Dylan says, it's a stupid system. Yeah. No. No? No, this is a stupid episode. Okay. <laughs> Turn the con artist over to one of the factions, set a course in one direction like you mentioned earlier. Eventually, you are going to clear the system, figure out your slip point situation at that point, use the time alone on the ship to tell a more interesting story, and get the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. They should have listened to Tear from the get-go. Yeah. Right. And why did they pick sides? Why do they yeah. always pick sides? Why do you get involved? You you fall into a system. You had no intention of me even being there. The first thing you see is a conflict. Yeah. You don't have any idea what this conflict is about. Yeah. And they picked the wrong side. <laughs> yeah. No, right? uh, no, you're absolutely because right. Because she was pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So so in the end, what we end up having is a completely stupid episode. And not only that, it's sexist. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, okay, yeah, she was pretty. But Dylan's supposed to be better than me. He is. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I mean, I, so, I saw the players on both sides. Sure, yeah. I'm going to pick the girl. But come on, Dylan. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely correct. All right, I uh, agree with you one hundred percent. I'm not. Is there a vein poking out? A little bit. All right, a little bit. I haven't seen that one before. Um, no this this episode should not have come when it did. I, I have it earlier in season three, and maybe I give it a pass. I don't now. At no point, I'm going to leave you with this one. You'll appreciate this. At no point <laughs> in this rambling, incoherent episode did we reach anything approaching a coherent story. I grant us no points, and may God have mercy on our souls. A simple wrong would have been good, but... Yeah. So that's how uh-huh. I felt about this episode. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Are we done here? <sighs> can, can we move on? You know what? That's... You, you, uh, said that, you said the prolongs need to move on. I know. We need to move on. I know. I have not been so upset with an episode that I have wanted to sit here and rail on it for such a long time. The, my, thought, it, my thought for the last hour here is, I can't believe we have spent the last hour talking about this episode as much as we have. Uh, no, I agree with you. Because I, I was probably three-fourths of the way through this episode, and I looked down at my paper, and I'm like, I don't have any notes to talk about. <laughs> like, no real, real notes. Like, let's let's really yeah. sink our teeth into this no, subject, it. this topic, and really discuss it. No, it's all just the observations of things I want to make fun of. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the actual talking points, I didn't have anything. Yeah. And then we start talking about it. You're getting upset. And all of these things that I'm like, oh, yeah, what's the deal with that? Yeah. And, hey, what about this thing? Hey, oh, you mentioned that. Okay, let's take this a little further because that's making me upset. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I I will point out that in trivia, I did say this was an episode written by Joel Metzger, and this is his only script in the series. So, fortunately for Mm -hmm. you and me, Ryan, we will not be subjected to his storytelling any longer. Okay. Was there like a writer strike? I don't know. There could have been. Okay. Who knows? 
But anyway, it's what we got. We've talked about it. The The audience knows how we feel about it. But what if the audience wanted to get in touch with us and let us know how they felt about the the illusion of majesty? Well, Ethan, let me tell you. Line. Don't write in. <laughs> like the prolons, let it go. All right. But in all seriousness, if somebody did want to get a hold of us and let us know how they felt about this episode, I'm going to tell you, I want to hear it. I really want to hear it. I just want to say for you, the listener, you should see the expression and the popping vein on his face. <laughs> if you if you deem to write one in, I will pass it on to him immediately. I haven't felt this way since Lava and Rockets. Oh, man. Well, did I not text you? I texted you. you and you I said, we may have a front runner um, that, that might go in that pantheon with Lava and Rockets. Yeah. And I... I after this discussion with you, I, I I think we do. I think we have a front runner for the worst episode so far. It could be. Let's hear about it. Uh, Ethan, how could someone get a hold of us? Drive back the night podcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Andromeda Pod. At Andromeda Pod is our handle. Uh, we're also on Podbean, Andromeda Series at podbean.com. There is a tip jar if someone should feel so inclined. Hey, let me interject here. Yeah. Uh, we've had a couple of listeners that have contributed for the show. And so for Ray and Angela, you know what you did. We greatly appreciate it. And now so does everyone else. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as if we consider you co-producers with the show so thank you very much for that we really do we really appreciate it honestly I, we never ever ever came into this trying to make any money off of it but we kind of fell off the radar for a little bit there and when people do stuff like that it does um, it makes us understand how there are people who appreciate what we're doing and it really touches us and it encourages us to, to keep moving forward with this so we honestly, seriously do really appreciate that. Well said. Yep. Very well said. And, and again, thank you for, for your contributions. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave us some stars and a review. We would certainly appreciate it. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for uh, lending us his voice for the opening quote of this episode. We are an age of geek production um, ageofgeek at podbean.com check those guys out doing some good stuff a lot of big stuff coming up especially for the end of the year trying to hit episode or issue number 100 mm -hmm. and uh, keep an eye out for Cafe Cinema Radio they are going to be doing a huge uh, Star Wars introspective leading up to uh, Rise of Skywalker. I'm really looking forward to that. Both you and I are hoping to be a big part of that. We're slated. Yep. Yeah, at least in, in some way. Um, but until then, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode, and we also uh, hope that you will join us back here again next time as we look at the episode Twilight of the Idols. 